This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 179. I want to check in, ask you how you're doing, and ask that we start today's show by taking a nice deep breath together. If you want to close your eyes down, whatever you're doing, as long as you're driving a car, maybe don't do this, but everybody else, doesn't matter if you can hear the kids in the background, doesn't matter if you're in a work conference call, shut off your video for a few seconds. Although I'd be very impressed if you could listen to a podcast and be on a conference call at the same time, but let's do this. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath in. And let it out until everything comes out and you squeeze that last little bit out. Ah, there we go. I think we all need those right now and let's not forget that we do. Let's also not forget that we need people, people that make our hearts sing, lift us up. Uh, Even if all you can do is schedule a phone call, Zoom, chat, WhatsApp, text, gosh knows there's a million ways to do it these days. That's one of the things I'm extremely grateful for to be experiencing a pandemic in this particular time. Um, But don't forget to chat to yourself too. I think this is a really good time to go inwards and check in with our emotions and make sure we're supporting ourselves to travel upwards positively as best we can. So uh, as you might have heard last week, or if you're brand new to the show and this is your very first Low Tox Life podcast, uh, we were in the middle of a personal health topics series. We're running the show in series this year of four or five per Low Tox Life aspect, food, body, home, mind, planet. And I, while of course I'm excited to bring you our shows on metabolism, fertility, I think we need the mind series that was queued up for right after the health series brought forward. So I kicked things off last week with our very first uh, of five mind focused, well, mental wellbeing focused shows with the incredible uh, Bruce Lipton. And if you haven't listened yet, please, it is so worth your time. It honestly is the perfect show for the times we're in, as is Bruce's body of work. So I encourage you to to jump in. Uh, And today I am very excited to have on the show one of my dearest, most, well, she's not one of my oldest friends in age, but she is a friend that I've had since we were nine years old. And she came to my school when we were in year four and we were instant friends and have been in close contact uh, ever since. She's one of those friends that you catch up with, even if you haven't seen each other for a couple of years. And there's a never-ending list of things to talk about, get excited about, share, etc. So 
Pippa Baker is my uh, guest today on the show. And the reason she is the guest is not for me to indulge myself and chat to one of my good friends on the podcast, but it's actually because of the incredible work she does. She is uh, a principal master instructor with Mental Health First Aid Australia. And It's a title given to their most active instructors, and she has trained specifically in three streams, youth mental health first aid, which is uh, sort of the work she does there is for parents, teachers, coaches, grandparents, giving practical skills and knowledge to support adolescents. She's also done standard mental health first aid and instructs on it, um, and that is a course for adults to support other adults in mental health issues. And she specializes in teen mental health first aid, where she goes out to high schools. Uh, wow, I wonder whether they should be doing that online now, um, teaching year seven to nine and 10 to 12 how to provide mental health, health first aid to their friends. Uh, and she's one of those incredibly practical people. When you speak to people and when she's working through a problem with you, you just know everything's going to be okay. And to know that she is sharing that gift with the world out there is is very comforting, I think, in a time when mental health does not get the light shone on it that it deserves and so desperately needs. And in a time of pandemic, of course, there are going to be a lot of alarm bells going off in people's minds, uh, whether it's for themselves, whether it's for a loved one. So I just want to say, if this is you, if this is someone you know, if you suspect that someone's having a rough time, but you're finding it hard to figure out how to reach out to them, how to open up, let's just share this show around. It's full of practical advice full of the important things that we can come back to time and again, no matter what health concern we're working on, that really do help us uh, stay as healthy as possible. And they overlap in all cases of health. And I'm talking about gut health, exercise, et cetera, some of the, the real basics that we talk about today. But I found that I learnt a lot of new language in today's conversation that I am better equipped and more confident to reach out when I see a red flag in front of me in the future. So I hope you enjoy that chat with uh, Pippa. She also has um, a very personal journey as to how and why she's felt called to do this work, uh, losing dear friends to suicide, one being her bridesmaid. So uh, it's it's funny how those messes become our messages in life. Um, Pippa's another example of that. So I will hand over to that show uh, and conversation in just a little second, but I want to let you know that you still have just a couple of days to make the most of the Walida offer, 15% off the entire Walida range and free shipping over $29.95. Your code is LOWTOXLIFE and you just head to walida.com.au to make the most of it. And, uh, I mean, there are a million things I could say about why I love the brand and I've shared a few of those over the last four weeks, but you'll notice there are very few people that we promote on the show and that we partner with. And the reason is, is because there are very uh, few companies who really 
uh, are pioneering the space and working at absolutely every level from the seed that is planted into the soil that it is planted into right through to fair trade practices, right through to farming education, right through to uh, distribution practices, uh, all of the ingredients that are used. And um, Walida is definitely one of those companies. Um, they're one of only two brands worldwide to be certified with the Union for Ethical Biotrade, um, which carries the Sourcing with Respect logo. And uh, I really love that they now are a TerraCycle collection point for packaging. So you can send back any empties to Walida that otherwise would go to landfill if you pop them in your recycle bin. As we know, there's very little that actually gets recycled, especially trickier, thicker plastics. Uh, and TerraCycle program actually turns them into new consumer products and parts of consumer products so that virgin plastics aren't used. Uh, so it's a fantastic program and you can now have confidence that you're not going to be contributing to landfill um, with any empty tubes. So that's another great thing. And of course, we shared our blog post on skin food across our socials. Hopefully you managed to see that. It's not just a rich moisturizer. There's now actually a whole range of skin food products. And uh, my personal favorite is Skin Food Light. And I find it to be one of those products that you can kind of use for anything. It can be a stopgap as a moisturizer if you've run out, or even if you just want to try using it as one uh, for your face, for your body. Uh, it's really great on dry areas, although the original Skin Food is still the absolute bomb for that because it's got a, a much higher level of lanolin in it. For our vegan listeners, they also have the Body Butter now, which is a vegan product. So you still get all the goodness of skin food, uh, but without any bee products in there. And uh, I really do think it is just one of the best best products out there and testament to it that it's been going for a nearly 100 years now, which is crazy. So make the most of that with your Lotox Life code over on the Walida website, 15% off the entire range and free shipping over $29.95. So there has never been a better time to grab a couple of things, whether you're stocking up or there are a couple of things you want to try. Enjoy is the main thing. Um, okay. So that is all I needed to tell you about. Remember to keep doing those deep breaths. I'm um, shout out to everyone who's staying at home for everyone who cannot right now. So important. And, uh, let's just make sure that we all connect with people as much as possible over these more isolated times physically so that we don't uh, start to see a creep up of mental, emotional isolation. That's really something we, we need to avoid. So if there's a neighbor that you know that lives alone in your building, maybe just let them know that you can drop them a soup, uh, talk to them through the door, uh, chat to your bestie on Zoom. It'll be the most uplifting 30 minutes you can do. Uh, and, uh, and let's do this. So enjoy this conversation with Pip. I would get a notepad and pen next to you. You might want to take notes. I, sh I sure did. And, uh, and I can't wait to hear what you thought. Hello, Pippa. How are you? I'm really well, Alex. How are you? I am so well. And in the intro, everybody knows that you are one of my oldest friends in the world, but not that we're old. And, <laughs> uh, and it is just such a pleasure to bring you onto the show and talk about 
probably one of the most practical shows we've ever done, especially in the space of mental health. We often talk about building mental resilience through meditation techniques and some of the more kind of um, uh, important things too. Yeah, absolutely important. But it doesn't save from the fact that we all still find this topic disproportionately uncomfortable to talk about, yet we are all desperate for, for some tools to help those in our community, people in our family, friends, workplace uh, that are experiencing the many, the many things that are kind of, um, that fall under the umbrella of uh, mental uh, health issues and challenges. So uh, I know that this started off as a very personal pursuit um, for you. And I think it'd be really great if you felt comfortable sharing that personal story that ended up turning into this incredible career in supporting so many more people uh, in mental health. I'd be, I'm happy to, and I'm really excited to be here and to share a little bit of the journey that led me to where I am today. Um, I was then living in a small country town uh, called Scone, and I had been working for a charity called Where There's a Will, which is one of my passions, um, which is basically a prevention charity for mental health. So we are teaching young kids, as young as preschoolers, some tools for recognising emotion and how to manage it and process it, which is the problem essentially of how mental health problems develop in the first place is not having good resilience to um, move those problems into a space where you acknowledge them and let them go. And Whilst I was on that journey and getting very excited about this wonderful charity, my bridesmaid took her life. Um, it wasn't sudden, um, but I was unaware of how unwell she was. And so when I went to her funeral, I found out uh, how unwell she was. She had been telling me that everything was okay on the phone. And so I then felt incredibly guilty and a very bad friend and a false belief that had I been there for her more that maybe I could have made things better for her. And, you know, I know after some really fantastic therapy that that is not the case and I, you can't make somebody else well. You can be a cheerleader, but I sort of liken it to footy for boys. Um, they have to pick up the ball and run with it. You can be on the sidelines encouraging, but they have to do the work. And with all the mental health, knowledge I have now, I feel that we were ripped off our generation now, but um, we didn't get those tools. And I do believe that had Libby been taught those tools when she was younger, she may have made some different choices, a, a different career, um, and um, substance use would not have been such an issue. Mm. And do you think part of it was her circle being taught different tools as well so oh, that absolutely. we knew how to read between the lines better? Absolutely. And being aware of some real basics that I'm really passionate about. You know, if you are feeling flat, it is normal to feel overwhelmed. It's normal to feel cranky. You know, it's normal to be stressed, anxious, even really sad. And to acknowledge those emotions sit with them for a little bit and then let them go. And while that process is going on, avoiding alcohol and drugs, getting lots of sleep, making sure you're eating good, healthy food, getting some exercise and you don't have to join CrossFit, but, you know, just... <laughs> I'm so glad you said walk. that. <laughs> <laughs> going for a walk can reset you so much better than opening a bottle of wine. And um, that's certainly 
my generation, we I, we were in a in the financial industry. We managed stress with alcohol, mm-hmm. and um, it exacerbated everything. And mm. because we weren't aware of the link between substance use and mental health, people were making wrong choices, but they weren't informed wrong choices. Mm. It's such an important distinction. And so, talk to me about what you did once you realised. Well, hold on. What else can I do here? Because obviously that was a pretty um, big pull to doing more in her honour as you moved forward. Absolutely. The more I learned about mental health and um, mental health first aid in particular and how easy it is, you don't have to be into psychology. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to have an interest even in mental health, although I've always said in all my training, I've done over 60 training sessions, raise your hand if you know nobody with a mental illness. No one's ever raised their hand. Um, We have got an instinct to gravitate away from people that um, make us nervous. That's our fear. You know, most of us, if we don't understand something, we're fearful of it. It's human nature. Um, So a bit of education, a little bit of an understanding of the different illnesses, how they present, having a conversation with somebody as early as possible gives them the best chance of making a full recovery and that's what we know that if you leave it too long you run the risk of becoming more unwell it's exactly Mm -hmm. like ignoring a mole Mm. it might be nothing but you want to get that checked yeah and yet traditionally uh we've we've started to get much better at skin cancer prevention and early detection uh but it it really still feels like with mental health we're very very far from where we need to be Absolutely. And it is all just education. It's all just knowing this stuff. It's all about being aware of that early intervention. And that is is the underlying meaning behind mental health first aid is the earlier you get that intervention. And it's not to say that somebody that has depression just needs to go for a walk and do exercise and eat right. That's not what we're saying. I sort of like a mental health first aid and prevention as putting on sunscreen. You know, you may still get a melanoma, but you're giving yourself the best possibility of avoiding it. And our brains need that metaphoric sunscreen. We need to be well. We need to stay robust as much as possible and acknowledge when we're feeling flat, when we're feeling overwhelmed, to just listen to ourselves and let ourselves slow down and acknowledge that this is real, acknowledge that I need to take a little bit of a break, that stress and being busy should stop being a trophy to be proud of because Mm. it's incredibly bad for our well-being. And we all need to just be aware of our gut and and gut health is another huge, huge burgeoning science around mental health you know yeah, massive uh, we've had so many doctors on the show or in our courses yeah yeah and it's the same when we talk to our kids importantly we need to be around the dinner table we all need to have a meal every evening mm. we all need to be talking about the three things that went well today and why were they something that you felt was a good thing today we can rewire our brains to focus on what is going well rather than sitting and dwelling on the things that aren't going well, which is that it's natural negative bias. We all have it. It's ancient when we were chasing saber-toothed tigers. Yeah. We all had to be in that. Well, it helped protect us back in the day. 
Exactly. And so looking for things that aren't going well is a natural instinct, but you can rewire your brain to focus on what is going well. And I don't have to practice it anymore. Mm. I do naturally focus on what is going well because I've done it for so long now. It's a natural thing that my brain does. Yeah. And I still have bad days. Everybody does. I still get incredibly frustrated. I live in Sydney with traffic, you know, (laughs) three kids, things get pear-shaped. They just Mm. do. But my ability to cope is completely different now that I've changed that mindset. Amazing. So there's so much to unpack there and I want to make sure that we do. So um, mental health is on a continuum is something you've um, shared with me as we were preparing for this interview and nobody is happy all the time. And you just alluded to that as well in terms of, yes, you're more able to cope, but also you don't have perfect days every day. Um, So let's talk about that some more and uh, and are we starting this with our kids? Because I feel like we try and iron out and suppress, you know, sadness or um, tough challenges and we don't give like tiny people tools. I-, I know I've done it myself. The other day I got really upset at my son for losing his $250 blazer and, uh, and I really just heaped it all on him. And then five minutes later I caught myself saying, come on, cheer up, out the door, it's going to be a great day. It's like, well, he wasn't ready, he hadn't processed that yet. And I felt horrible and, of course, apologised and, you know, went through everything and uh, luckily the blazer was found in Lost and Found, just for anyone who was worried out there. Um, but I, it was. was a, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I really did catch myself because I don't do it often, but that for me is an example of, like, when a child needs to process something that they've, you know, gone through. Maybe they got in trouble or maybe they got teased at school or whatever the thing that's making them feel really weighed down and sad is. Um, And I like how you said before, it's about processing it into the point where you're ready to let it it go and giving them the tools to do that and be okay to be sad for that little bit. Um, I didn't do that. I tried to quickly put on like the come on, everything's great, uh, when, when he hadn't finished processing it. And that's, I knew that was wrong and I knew it straight away and I feel happy to have done the work to get to that point to know We've that. all done that. Yeah, We've but I feel like we all need to raise our awareness on when we're doing that. Yes, and yeah. I think the, my favourite thing um, is a program that, um, is called, it's actually an Australian invention by uh, Professor Lee Waters in Melbourne. Um, it's Visible Wellbeing, and that's the program that um, we are instituting in the Upper Hunter with Where There's a Will. And it's all very much on a strength switch. So um, not we're all, we've all got strengths, you know, um, and it's the same with our children. You know, some are creative some have zest some have a love of learning some have an appreciation of beauty and there's 24 strengths and so um what we can do with our kids is do it that it's viacharacter.org is the website and you can actually go on it's free um it's a quick survey and we all bring it all brings up our strengths so my oh, top great we'll add that to the show notes for everybody listening yeah mm. um and so um so, funnily enough sophie my youngest and i both have the same top strength which is oh know, wow Humour, um, yeah. yeah. I would definitely, and having <laughs> known you since you were nine years old, I would confirm that. 
So it's, and that is, you know, something to celebrate. And so rather than focusing on what they're not good at, you know, whether it be organised, something you practice. I was incredibly untidy as a child. Now I'm not, you know. It's something that we need to work on rather than expecting them to have an adult ability at their age, you know. At the same time, though, it's really important. We have this, and I've had arguments with parents about this, and I, I still believe what I'm saying is this um, new modern method with our parenting to, they call it snowplow parenting, where what it is is my child has a problem. I don't want my child to feel negative emotion, so I'm going to solve that problem for them. Right. It is I, can, I can spot the disaster waiting to happen with that. And so the, the two problems are that the child doesn't feel that you back them to solve this problem themselves. And the second problem is that's precisely a moment where a kid can build resilience. And resilience is incredibly combative with managing those negative emotions. If I know I have a problem and I solve it and I move on, that is where we build our resilience. That is where we get our kids knowing that I can fix something that goes negatively in my life by myself without mum and dad. Obviously, we've got more, you know, crisis situations like bullying. We don't say that kids should, but, you know, things <laughs> sort like, yeah, yeah, sort it out. But, you know, things like, you know, I haven't done my maths homework. Yeah. Okay. You need to have a consequence. They need to learn. We can't, and I've had my, a, a teacher at my girls' school where we both went to school out, mm. and she said a kid was late, got a detention for being late, understandably, the mother rang the school and said, it's my fault she was late, I'll take the detention. <gasps> and what's more terrifying than that, it's not the first time that's happened. Wow. So, as a result, our kids are getting a false sense of entitlement. They are believing that not, it's not my fault.com, right, slash, you know, and we're creating, well-meaningly, we are creating a generation of children that don't take ownership of their mistakes. And the belief that life is fair is so, it's so un, unsettling for them, particularly when they go and start a job or they go to university. Life's not fair, you know. And your life, for me, like, you know, we talk about obligation, you know, 90% of my day is obligation. You know, the 10% is for me. They're my agency, my choices. But to give your children the belief that they can do anything they want, when they want, <laughs> It's just setting them up for a big disappointment. When that, 100%. And that, it's really dangerous mm. to uh, protect your children to that point. Yeah. And it's not about not being, not caring. Mm. It's a really hard, parenting's hard, but it's a, it's a fine line between not caring at all and caring too much. Yeah, absolutely. And I really like what you, you said there about framing those little problems that come up as opportunities to show that you care and also to foster... You trust a them. curiosity from your child. Yeah. Okay, how am I going to fix this? Yeah, and trust and, them. That yeah. they'll, they'll find a solution on their own. Back them. You know, mm. give them that sense that I know you can do this. Mm. You know. I and is help. it about also helping them with some of the basic tools like um, developing pros and cons lists in their head or, you know, and then even being, is it okay to be happy? Uh, is it okay to let them know that you're happy to chat through the solutions Absolutely. they're coming up with? Yeah. And listening, though, and this is a big part of mental health first aid, listening. 
not listening to reply. You know, it's a big problem that we have in our mind. We all do it, you know, have it in our mind what I'm going to say next. And as a result, you are not actively listening to that person speaking. And that's the gift right there is to really just stop what you're doing. Don't cook. Put everything down tools and say, okay, let's sit down and tell me what it is that you're concerned about. What are some ideas you have for how to solve this and listening? And if you think that they're really on the right track, oh, that's really, that's that's a really interesting way of doing it. Have you considered this way? Um, and if they say no, respect that, you know, because again, even if they make a mistake, this is not, you know, in most situations, it's not going to be catastrophic. It's just they then learn the lesson. And if we don't learn lessons in life, we don't grow. If we don't grow, we're stagnant. If we're stagnant, things keep happening over and over and we don't understand why we keep, we need to learn from our mistakes. And um, I know for our generation that's <laughs> That involves making some. <laughs> yeah. Free-range parenting, I called the 80s and 90s. Oh, my gosh, absolutely. I was and they had that. a lot of things right. Yeah, yeah. We swung the pendulum a long way <laughs> in the other direction. Um, yeah. And in a lot of ways, you know, we know where our kids are all the time. Probably a good thing, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I find it certainly more settling to know where he is. But <laughs> I, I definitely agree with that. And I think, um, I think it's important on that listening front and on the mental health is on a continuum, which is kind of where we're still um, talking about. Uh, this is, this goes for adults as well. Totally. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I, I just, just want to get them young. That's yeah, all. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I get that. At three, I wish I'd known all this stuff when my kids were small because the younger you are to recognize negative emotions and to recognize that they are part of being human and to not be frightened by them. That to know that being sad is something that will pass. You know, I'm having a really bad day or I'm even better reframing, which was exciting. My son said this to me when he was in year nine. I'm not having a bad day, mum. I'm just having a bad evening. Oh, bingo. You know, that's exactly right. You know, and know that it's going to get better and not I'm always going to be sad. You know, just being able to reframe that reference so that we know we're on a continuum, we're relaxed in that continuum, knowing I've had a bad day today, what could I have done differently to have made my day better? Why did that make me so angry or sad? What did, what did it trigger in me that gave me those negative emotions? Acknowledge them and reflect on the situation a little bit and then being, then you're able to let it go, going, oh, well, I know why. It's because it brought up all that old stuff. Okay, breathe. It's just like that wonderful uh, interview. It was early last year with the psychologist, Dr. Joan Rosenberg, who's based over in LA. And she, her more recent book that she brought out last year was 90 Seconds to the Life You Love. And while that's the catchy publisher title that all authors need to say yes to from their publishers, what's under that is the science of negative emotions at their peak actually lasting about 90 seconds and if you can ride the wave and raise your awareness while you're in that peak time um it is much easier to ride those waves into more positive times and i thought that was a really great i mean 90 seconds we can do that all of us can do that but i find myself being i used to get 
I, I, always, I used to pride myself almost, which was ridiculous. Oh, I've, got, I've just got a short wick. Mm. Well, um, people get labelled and then you step into that story, don't you? And then it's just self-perpetuating and it's, it's not okay to have a short wick. You know, it's not, it's not that it, it's for you. For you, it's not helpful. Um, and you can change that. You know, our minds aren't fixed and set. There are things that I do that I've never done before. I adore being older. You know, I'm so much more sure about what I care about, what I don't care about. You know, being young is confusing, you know, and so that's why we need to be in their space being reassuring and letting them know that, yeah, you've, you've had a bad... Don't try and minimise it. That, that sounds like that would have been really tough. I would have found that really overwhelming. Saying that to your teenagers rather than, oh, well, at least, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's such a great distinction. Because, oh, well, at least. Yeah. No, no more. Yeah. There's no empathy in at least. And Brené Brown, you know, talks about empathy and sympathy. Sympathy is not helpful. Empathy. And empathy comes from really listening to somebody. And particularly around mental health problems, you don't give a monologue about your experiences with anxiety if you've had one or what it was like for you. The whole point is to listen to that person because we are all different. And, you know, that's where, you know, the whole learning about um, anxiety and depression. So basically mental health first aid is learning all those signs. Mm. And um, so can we talk about the signs? And, and uh, because I think something that a lot of people who want to do more to help and who feel like, okay, I feel like I'm getting somewhere with the daily negative emotions that pop up and tough situations and I've gotten better at supporting my child or my friend or my partner, but I want to be able to do more in the space of clinical um, uh, anxiety, depression and, uh, and, and people having um, suicidal thoughts, which is something that scares the living bejesus out of most people, um, you know, because you wouldn't want to do the wrong thing because then you're implicated somehow in your mind in whatever they choose to do. And, and so... Yeah, it's a very common, particularly with suicidal ideation, there is a lot of false belief out there that if you talk about it, you're going to put the idea in their head. It's completely false. Uh, suicidal ideation is a very complicated usually um, a relatively long period most of the time of um, depression and, su and suicidal ideation are linked. Most anxiety as well, but it's, it's majority are um, experiencing depression when they become suicidal. Um, so we need to be really mindful of not presuming that if I say something, it's going to trigger. You know, um, in fact, what we know with um, suicide thoughts is to actually ask them if they're feeling suicidal directly is the most beneficial thing we can do for somebody um, because they can um, believe that nobody wants to talk to them about it and that isolation can be dangerous. Wow. So we really want yeah. to ask them directly, not ask vague questions like you're not going to do anything stupid, are you? You know, because it's judgy and B, you don't want the answer to be yes. So you're not giving them permission to talk about it if they do want to talk about it. And that's that isolation, isolation and hopelessness are kryptonite for somebody feeling well. So the more we include people, you know, I've been seeing on Facebook a lot, Eeyore, talking about Eeyore and Piglet, 
and how Eeyore's always, you know, he's, he's well, obviously, it would appear that he is sad, but he's always included in all their adventures, you know, even though he's not happy like Piglet and Tigger, he's still included, mm. even though. Such a powerful metaphor. Yes. Um, and, uh, I, and I really think that I, that bombshell of being super direct is actually more likely to save a life. Absolutely. Then alluding yes. to things yes. is and a really like great thing to know. The, your countenance in that conversation, how you frame it, your body language gives that person permission to speak about something that's so taboo in our society. That's the gift. Because whatever it is, tell me. Yeah, I want to know. And for people that have been suicidal for a long time, it's often the first time they've ever been allowed to speak about something that's been preying on their mind constantly for a long time. And often the relief of just getting that off their chest, of being able to say, yes, I am suicidal. And then there's a few steps after that. Um, but that's the whole idea behind it, is it just giving people permission to acknowledge and talk about something that's obviously worrying them. Nobody wants to feel that way and they can be quite overwhelmed with those feelings and thinking and also to let them know that thoughts about suicide are common it doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to act on them can be very reassuring to someone mm, because just having the idea might then make them feel is that right it might make yeah. them feel like oh this is now something I'm entertaining and could happen and might happen and actually should I today you know, like, is so end, yes. we diffuse that. Yeah. But essentially. the end game is always to get them professional help. Of course. Um, and so once they've answered that question in a way that we either know they're lying or because, like, could that happen where we, we ask them the direct question? Oh, of course not. Don't be silly. But you really just feel energetically like there's a lot more that they're not saying that might come down to those taboos and people not feeling comfortable sharing such a, a something that they feel so shameful or they might actually say yes in fact uh, I've, I've been thinking about it a lot lately and I don't know what to do what's that next step well it, it it's very important and I love that you brought that up because that was very much my guilt when my bridesmaid took her life I I believed that if I had been there more we would have had a different outcome and what I really want to emphasise, which I find is a big relief, particularly to our generation, which do feel sometimes a, a great sense of responsibility when they do intervene, that you are not responsible if they elect not to tell you the truth. You've given them an opportunity to tell the truth. You can't make somebody talk if they don't want to talk and they may not be comfortable talking to you and that's okay. Letting them know if, you know, if you don't feel comfortable talking to me about this stuff, do talk to somebody else if you are feeling that way. And, and if they say that they're not feeling suicidal, so I'm really happy to hear that. Um, but if you ever are, you know, you can talk to me. You know, it's just giving them that licence. And again, people have agency on how they want to be helped, if they want to be helped, which is really hard, particularly when you have known so many people like me that have died by suicide. Um, it is their agency, whether they want to get that help or not. And it's hard and it's really, it took a lot of therapy for me to get that in my head, to be honest. So um, it's a lot to take on and it's a lot to believe 
um, to be true, but it is, you know. Um, we've just got to give people the opportunity to talk and if they do not want to, that is not on you. You haven't been a bad mental health first aider. If you have had that conversation with someone and they do hurt themselves, it doesn't mean that you didn't do a good job. It's just you did the best you could. And um, if somebody doesn't want to talk to a professional, if somebody is taking drugs, drinking whilst suicidal, letting them know how dangerous it is to be drinking and taking drugs when someone is feeling negative emotions a lot of the time, and if they still don't take that on, there's nothing more you can do. You know, at, at the end of the day, it's up to the individual whether they want to pursue getting help or not. And that can be really challenging, particularly when you're very close to somebody that you know isn't well um, and they, uh, they refuse to get help. It can be incredibly, you know, the grief and the other emotions and the guilt that are associated with a suicide, you know, unlike an accident or an illness, a physical illness, um, it's, it's a very different death. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's often a lot of victims aside from the immediate family. There's often yeah. And, and something that I've been researching lately is um, the implication of uh, the wrong medication being given sometimes. And uh, there are a lot of incredible professors and doctors doing scientific researchers doing work to try and get better at prescribing the right drugs for the right people who are on a medication path, um, because that, of course, is not something to be ashamed of either. But um, I reckon there might even be some shame in when the, you know for a fact that the drugs you've been put on aren't working or are actually making you feel worse because you're already in that isolated, depressed state can someone then be more likely to assume it must be something wrong with me that these aren't working or, and be less likely to reach out quickly to their doctor? I just, I worry about that. It, and it is a worry. And it's, and we do need a big overhaul of how people are supported in mental health space, because particularly in the bush, you, you finally. And that for the people who aren't from Australia, the oh, bush sorry. is <laughs> the country, the forest, the rural areas. That's the forest. We just call it the bush. Yep. <laughs> um, we don't have great services um, in the country. And um, when someone, and there's massive stigma, you know, you're weak, you need to harden up, everyone has problems, you just need to get on with yours. Everyone's fearing the drought, everyone's suffering. And shift workers in mines um, are also the same. But then they, they become so unwell, they finally get up the courage to go and see their GP and the conversation is just, right, here's a script. Um, and, in, in, and I'm not having a go at doctors. They are, they are the front line and they're completely overwhelmed, often suffering with mental health problems themselves. As a result of that, I had one um, young girl. Um, she was on um, depressants antidepressants and she was becoming suicidal on the antidepressants and she went back to her doctor and said these aren't working he doubled the dosage um and thankfully she had the presence of mind to go to another doctor and it's really important that i can't stress enough to people out there that are going through mental health issues and they're feeling like their medication isn't working if your doctor doesn't tell you a different story or says, well, let's try these ones, let's, well, let's have a little 
we're going to need to manage this and have a little fiddle with it. It's going to take a bit of time. Go and see another GP because not all GPs are made the same. Not all GPs have an interest in mental health. We also have English as a second language as another barrier. And sometimes you're just not going to get the help that you need. And it is very frustrating, particularly for people like me who are in this space most of the time. And I hear so many horror stories about people. And the reality is when you go and see the doctor and you're worried about a lump on your breast, for example, you will go and see the doctor. He will confirm the diagnosis and he will reassure you, you know, everything is going to be okay. We're going to make an appointment with this oncologist. Um, this is who you're going to go and see. This is, you know, how long the treatment will last for. And you are supported. When you have a mental health problem, you are, you know, given a referral to go and see a psychologist and off you go. And so there's nobody there to make sure that you have indeed made the appointment with the psychologist, that you go to the appointment with the psychologist. And it is a nonsense that somebody who is very unwell with their mental health to be expected to manage mm. that problem on their own. When, you know, because of dopamine dysregulation, all the other things going on, sometimes they can barely get out of bed to do yeah. one thing. Yeah. Cancer patients are more likely to be able to manage their health than someone with depression mm. because every interesting is thing. Yeah. Um, so we need to change that. We need a case manager. We need somebody there to follow up. And with the GPs, see these poor mm. GPs. Oh, they're so stretched. They don't yeah. know whether yeah. that person's going to kill themselves when they leave because they know that they, it's up to that person whether they keep that appointment or not. And they never get any update on how is Joe Vlogs going. And that's really dangerous. And it's too much. It's too much for everybody to be able to manage. So, And it's only becoming a bigger problem. So we need to do something and as quickly as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And so to sort of backtrack a little bit uh, to anxiety, uh, because this is something that even more people experience, and again, it's on a spectrum. Um, let's talk about what that is, what's happening in us to create it. There's obviously some physiological stuff happening as well. It's not just in the brain. And there can be many, many things from diet to environmental toxin exposure and all these other things that can actually contribute to it. But for what it is, what are some of the best tools we can use if we find ourselves becoming anxious? Um, is it something, you know, that we can start to develop a bit of a vocab around what it looks like when we're hit with it and, um, and what to do? Okay, well, I want to be really mindful that clinical anxiety is um, not something I'll talk about um, purely because um, it's different for everybody and um, what works for someone else doesn't, you know, I've got a lot of people that are huge fans of mindfulness, a lot of people that think it's a lot of pods, you know. So um, what I would, there are a few different things. Um, focusing on what is going well can be very helpful. Um, Focusing on your breathing, um, being a, being mindful of is this an environment that I can control, acknowledging that we have got some physical symptoms with anxiety, the cortisol moving through your body, being aware that it's just a chemical reaction can be very reassuring to somebody that I'm not actually going to have a heart attack when somebody is having something like a panic attack. They can feel very overwhelmed very quickly. Um, and then are freaking out that they're freaking out. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've, I've experienced that myself with um, mold illness because anxiety is one of the big um, symptoms of uh, mold illness because you get shortness of breath and that can make you start to panic and then that just sends off a chain reaction of all sorts of things and your cortisol is really high when you've been affected by mold. So, um, so I remember panicking about being panicked and just being in this spiral and then teaching myself to ride it out and knowing it would end eventually and was one of the, the really best good. things and I could do. I don't, I don't want to sit here and say to somebody with clinical anxiety, just breathe. Mm. You know, it sounds, it sounds judgy and it sounds really condescending. And I got told that many, many times as well. I was like, I've done every freaking yoga nidra possible and it does not calm me down. So you actually end up becoming defensive and more stressed when and you angry. get told that. Yeah, you know, exactly. You're not listening to me. Mm. Um, and so I think what, what I would encourage anybody that does, and look, we all get anxious. It's part of being human. But what we need to remember when we are anxious, we need to know that the blood is leaving our brain and going to our muscles. So our brain stops functioning properly. So we're not logical. We're not able to manage. But what we, what, the reason people go on about breath and irritate everyone is because <laughs> the blood does go back to your brain. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean that your anxiety goes away, but you can think a little more clearly. I mean, I do, people that get stressed in exams, for example, you know, they talk about how their mind goes blank. Um, that's because the blood has left their brain and their brain stopped working as well. And it's fight or flight. That's what anxiety is. It's fear. And so our muscles then tense and that's where the blood goes to our muscles to fight off the saber-toothed tiger. It's ancient and primitive. It just doesn't serve us very well anymore, which is a big issue because people still experience it like they always did. Um, but I, I do encourage everybody to try everything. You know, there's so, I mean, I could go into them all. There's literally hundreds of things you can try. The most important thing if you are feeling overwhelmed with negative emotions is getting enough sleep. You need eight hours, drinking lots of water, staying away from alcohol and drugs, making sure you're being around people that make you feel good. You yes, know, so um, huge. The Having toxic people need to go. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't know about you, Al, when I turned 40, that's what I did. I still, you know, I'm still perfectly nice. I just don't invest because it's self-care. I just can't. It's not, I have not the energy to manage other people and every time I walk away feeling exhausted, you know, we don't get enough free time to be doing that yeah. these days. You know? Um, it's very true. That's one of the benefits of, of turning 40. Um, yeah, because the last four years I've been surrounded by people who are very expansive, creative, yeah. positive, uh, and I have orchestrated that myself. Yeah. And it's a conscious choice. Mm. And, you know, I, I do, I, I mentioned this in all my training, you know, obviously there's family members that are a little bit more difficult to shed, mm. um, but also acknowledging that that's the reaction that you always have to those people. And so am I in the space today to manage that? Mm. You know, I'm feeling good today. You know, if I'm feeling okay, I can do that. Yeah. If you're not feeling great, just not today. Mm. You know, it's just that self-care, that protection. My brain is sacred and mm. I'm not going to just, you know, let it do whatever it wants because it doesn't know what's best a lot of the time. So yeah. I'm very mindful of 
my well-being being all you know about being present and that's another thing that we talk about with anxiety is being present mm. um what we know in a basic sense is depression you know in a very simple way is thinking about the past mm. and anxiety is thinking about the future right so, yeah um if we can focus on what is going well right now you know not thinking about what i need to do next what i need to do after that what's on next week which is modern life but mm. if we are feeling overwhelmed to just slow down come back to the present moment focus yep. on your breath what do i need to do right now and i love the old adage i got i can't remember who said it to me but i love it is this going to matter in five years mm. yes that's one of my favorites as well i love it mm. so few things it's a really great tool for kids as well i use Absolutely. it with my little guy yeah. yeah will you even remember that person's name yeah mm. and you know if it is going to i mean you know my um, eldest is doing the HSC. Yes, mm. it's going to matter in five years. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Not as much as our society tells us it will, though. That's, Absolutely. that's for sure. Absolutely mm. true. Um, but, you know, they they have so much more pressure on them these days. Mm. They've got more pathways, but they yeah. feel more pressure. Yes. It is, um, it's really... Um, Infinite possibility is as much a curse as it is a blessing. It is. And mm. he's my firstborn. So I, I do, I, I love this too. You know, kids are like pancakes, you know, the first one's always, you know, a different shape, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Yeah. It's just, okay. That, that, yeah, probably could have handled that differently. Um, but that sort of, you know, you, you do tend to worry more about the eldest. I don't know why that is, but. Mm. Well, I've only got one. So I, I try and curb my worrying. He did yes. his first trip from the city alone yesterday and I, uh, and I survived. <laughs> he was and, fine and excited, but I was worried. Brilliant resilience building, Al. I know. I listened to him three times, he asked me last week. And I said, no, let's just get used to, you know, and then I was like, nope, this is about me not about him. He's ready. So I actually need to address my issues around this and support him to just become that little bit more independent from now on. And that's great. It is. And those, mm. those little steps, see, we can't, we can't build resilience. It's, it's, it's something that's built. It's like a muscle. Yeah. You can't just have resilience tomorrow. Mm, no. You need to grow it, develop it, build on it. And the more that you use the muscle, the stronger it gets. Mm. So it is exactly like that. I, so I, I, important. It's so important. And to know that I won't feel like this all the time. Yeah. I'm, I'm just having a day. And to teach our kids that they won't feel like this all the time because they don't have years and years and decades of uh, something to sort of reference that feeling they're having from, if it comes up for the first time and it's treated in a way that brushes it under the carpet too fast or um, amplifies it too much, you know, then then we're just setting ourselves up for, for them being less resilient as they grow up. And I think that's, that's something I've really taken out of our chat today um, in a big way. So thank you for that. Um, you are passionate about gratitude practice. And I know that that obviously is one of the keys to uh, starting to get more into the space of the present and all that is good right now. Um, and, uh, and so I'd love to finish by having you challenge everybody who's listening to the show uh, to uh, employ a gratitude practice this week and what might that look like for us to get started okay. on. Well, I 
gratitude practice is something that everyone should be doing honestly because it's easy yeah and it changes your mindset so basically a gratitude practice it takes 21 days to form a habit mm. so i just make it 28 days to really cement it in let's get it if in you there can, yeah if you can write down it can be in the morning when you get to work or it can be at night before you go to bed is get a piece of paper or better yet get a special book really make this mm. a conscious thing a three things that went well today and why are they important to you and so it's it takes five minutes you know what that does is remind you of what did go well today it focuses your brain on the positive rather than the negative because we can all ruminate we can all marinate mm. that went, went think about that first major breakup <laughs> yeah you wake up and go that wasn't that big a deal but at 2am it's a big deal what i found with me with gratitude and focusing on what is going well focusing on my strengths focusing on the things that I'm so grateful for. And it, it can just be, I had a rock star pun of the strawberries. It doesn't mm, have to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Profound. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just, oh, my God. And I, I just, you know, the rain is beautiful today. Um, yeah. It doesn't have to be big. Mm. Um, and sometimes you, you're going to have to reach. Sometimes you've had a really ordinary day. Mm. You know, the but, chicken was perfectly cooked. <laughs> Can yeah, I really like that. That is not. It's not about. I got my dream job. Or, yeah, yeah. You know all that. My life is so big perfect. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be. You know, I got a new job. Uh, you know, there's an extra zero on the pay packet. It just. Mm. It's just a question of uh, reminding ourselves to be grateful. Is it's hugely helpful with within the perma framework, which I'll briefly just yeah go for it. Martin Seligman, who is you know, my hero, he's the founder of Positive Psychology. He's an American mm. psychologist. Uh, he talks about PERMA as the basic framework for being content. So contentment is not being happy all the time. Like I was saying, you know, we're not all happy all the time. Happiness by its very nature is fleeting. Mm. So wanting to be happy all the time is an impossibibility that is ironically making us anxious. Yes. And Why aren't I happier? Yeah. Everyone else is happy all the time. Thank you. They Instagram. look happy. Facebook. Thanks, Instagram. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Great. Yeah. <laughs> and having that false belief that everybody else has got it going on and I'm the only one that can't seem to get my life happy all the time. Mm. So what PERMA is is a, an acronym for P-E-R-M-A. So P standing for some positive emotion in our life, which is where that gratitude space comes in, where we have things that we are positive about, whatever yeah. they might be. It can be the pun of the strawberries, seriously. Mm. Yeah. You know, just something to hold on to on those bad days. The E is for engagement, being engaged in something that you're passionate about, something that you can get lost doing, mm. you know, that you find yourself with hours gone by, whether it be gardening, reading, you know, podcasting, whatever it is that you're passionate about, that's something to look for as an individual to try and cultivate that. Having good relationships, so the R is relationships, so we've already sort of covered that really, having some people in our life that do lift us up, that don't tell us all the things that could go wrong, or negative influences, people that believe in you, having some meaning, some purpose, you know, things that you 
are passionate about. Al, I know you're really struggling in that department. <laughs> <laughs> Tick, I'm all good. Thanks, Pip. <laughs> and um, accomplishment. So A is just a sense of the things that I've achieved, you know. Um, mm, and and that, that can be really small if someone's oh, working from a base where they have had a history of anxiety and depression. Absolutely. Mm. So cultivating those things. And we are not fixed and set. I really feel like so many people just think, oh, that's just me. And I've had people with anxiety say, but I just, that's just who I am. No, uh, it's no not. It's not. Really. That's a choice. And so much of our psyche is a compounding factors of all the choices we make. Mm. And so making choices that celebrate you, that nurture you, and making sure that you make those choices consciously gives you that sense of empowerment, gives you that sense that I am not just a victim, I am not just a sum of my past or, you know, bad experiences. I'm going to make choices to protect myself better, that, you know, foster my sense of who I am and keep me passionate about doing that. And we're all a work in progress. We are. I'm learning when I'm dead. Mm. You know, we all need to keep pushing, keep trying, keep learning and make ourselves our priority because nobody is responsible for your happiness, contentment or sense of well-being than you. Mm, no one's more responsible. And I think, you know, coming right back to something you said really early on around, um, you know, the life, especially of a, a parent and especially of a working parent with multiple children, as you are, it can feel like most of your day is a big to-do list, which is why it's so important to foster the, the bit that isn't and make sure you preserve it. But also I find something that we can get into the trap of as a parent um, in the, well, you know, I say as a parent, it could be as a busy business owner or anyone who has obligation in front of them in their day-to-day -day life is to even try to reframe that because we have to remember why we made that choice in the first place. You know what I mean? And I find that really helps me when it's busy and like I just haven't even had time for like 10 minutes to myself yet until 10 o'clock at night. I just think, aren't I lucky to have this beautiful boy or aren't I so, so grateful that I get to show up for work and do, do this. Yes, that was a freaking crazy day. But uh, like imagine if I was doing something I hated um, or, you know, and I find that helps reframe the obligation part of the day into something positive as well. Absolutely. And mm. this is, you know, the poor old millennials, you know, they get a lot of stick about being snowflakes and obvious nonsense. But I, I've listened to quite a few podcasts from millennials and I love that so many of them talk about find something you're passionate about. Mm. You know, I don't feel we as my, and I'm speaking for myself and a few of my friends, I'm not speaking for the whole 90s generation, but we really were, it was a job. Yeah. You know, something that, you know, was secure. Mm. And that oh, I, I remember. Yes, I was very actively encouraged to not pursue music, for example. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and that was no one's fault who was making no, their no, career recommendations. No, um, no, no. It was just, just a different time. Yeah. We weren't told to be passionate. Yeah. And, no. uh, you know, like someone was talking to me the other day about my son's love of tennis. And, you know, he's, he's getting good, but he's certainly no junior Wimbledon champion in four years' time, which is where all the greats are if they're going to then move on to be the greats. Um, and I'm not discounting a career in tennis, but as a parent of 
a kid now, I can see that that career might be running your own sports club. It could be, you know, having an online tennis education business. It could be, there's so much possibility if you're working from a base of passion and things that you're interested in now that I feel like our parents just didn't have that sense of possibility for us and it's absolutely not their fault. Absolutely not. And they were they were raised differently again to mm. how we were mm. raised. Yeah. I, I, I love hearing how much people talk about do what you're good at, do what you're passionate about. And even at my kids' schools, they're saying, don't worry about the ATAR, don't worry about, you know, which frames of reference, you know, mark better or they scale better. Do mm. what you're good at. Yeah. And I don't remember anyone ever saying no. that. No. Um, and, you know, look, I wasn't a great student, you know. I did, you know, I and I wasn't um pushed either you know mm. to you know find your passion yeah, um, yeah. and I didn't find it either well I'm not blaming anybody at all I don't think mm. you know but I, I'm really excited that the next you know generation behind us are passionate about finding their passion mm. and and we are going to have a number of careers you and I have had a number of different careers before yeah. we've reached this is my passion. I, I mm. found it and I'm yeah, me too. fortunate. I'm not going anywhere now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but do you think, like with the whole find your passion generation, though, that the the missing piece could possibly be what we've been talking about quite a bit in this chat is that it's not going to be easy and not every day is going to be rosy and you're not going to be like running some seven-figure business yeah. in three months. And, and, and it's hard work. It's really hard work. And so the resilience piece still needs to be the thread under all of that exploration. And I certainly feel for me, I I have a lot of resilience. I um, I did have, you know, lots of things that happened when I was younger that did build that. It wasn't deliberately done, but it, it, I built it nonetheless. Mm. I think that... Um, I'd never, you know, this whole fascination I have in Sydney of everyone going to the Saturday sport, I think mum and dad occasionally would drop me off. Mm. Um, they, you know, it's a lovely thing, but it's also as a result of the, the traffic is breathtaking on Saturday morning. It's the worst <laughs> it really is breathtaking. of any day of the week. Yeah. And it's it's that, you know, expectation that, you know, I'm we're coming to watch. That can be pressure too for a kid, mm. you know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just interesting. Um, it's so different. The kids are raised, and I've raised my kids the same. Don't mistake me. I'm, you know, we all go and watch. Mm. Um, well, but, but it's, I find, as an ex-gen parent, it's one of the ways that we redevelop community, yes. um, which we kind of lost in our 20s and 30s in this, I know you talk about this, the me, 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 me yeah. um, situation. It is, it's a big issue and, and we are very much in that space of, you know, how is this going to affect me? You know, mm-hmm. um, how is this going to affect my kid? You know, we've got parents that are ringing up schools and insisting that their kid be in the maths class above. Um, we've got parents that are taking long service leave when their child's doing the HSC. Um, wow. and, and as a result of that, you know, they do get a higher ATAR. Yeah. That happens, but it's a false ATAR. So mm. when they do go on to do that um, further study, they don't have a perfect environment. And they don't have someone cooking for them three meals a day behind the scenes, making, making up special shakes. Yeah. And that, you know, cheerleading squad isn't there anymore and they flounder. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's again, it's well-meaning parents and I'm not dissing parents because I, I do get some that get very offended by all this and saying, well, you're saying we shouldn't care about our kids and that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we need to make sure that our kids back themselves, mm. that they know that they have ability to have a problem and solve it and move on. Yeah. And if they've always got their parents fixing those problems for them, they're not going to build that muscle. Mm. And, and it is a muscle. That's my favourite way to look at that metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. Um, and they can do it. They can do it. You know, and we've got to, we've got to give them that trust that they're going to make a mistake and they're going to be hurt and they're going to have negative emotions and to reassure them, you know, have dinner party conversations at home. Talk to your kids about negative bias. Talk to your kids about, you know, particularly your sons, that their prefrontal cortex, which is their reasoning and their consequence part of their brain, doesn't develop until they're in their late 20s. That's why we have young men making bad decisions. It's not that they're dumb. It's that they don't have that developed in their brain yet. And that's purely because, again, these old saber-toothed tigers, men were out hunting. They were immediate, immediate danger. They didn't think about anything other than catching a bit of meat to bring back to the village, whereas the females in the village had to work out how to make all this food last. So they would always be planning and thinking about how are we going to make all of this food go through the winter. And men didn't need to do that. So it's Mm. not serving men very well, which is why they have 75% more suicides than 25%. Gosh, I feel like we need to do a whole other show, Pip. I think this is (laughs) going to need to be a two-part series. There's just so much to talk about. because I think I think the, um, the male suicide rates are really, really alarming in how we can best support boys. I had the beautiful Maggie Dent on the show a couple of years ago about raising boys specifically, because I know it's something a lot of people are worried about um, doing right. Um, and so, yeah, just so much to talk about. But I want to say thank you so much. Um, Such a pleasure. I love, I like, I talk about it all day. I told you that. I know, I know. You said I'd have to rein you in and I'm reining you in because I know you need to go do something for one of your kids. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you, um, Pip. That was awesome. And, uh, and I do think we'll have to have you back on or maybe we'll do a webinar so that parents can actually ask questions live. That would be really cool. Absolutely. And, and the boy thing is, you know, it's, it's a big, it's a big passion of mine because, we talk about so much when kids get their L plates, mm. you know, and all of the systems that are in place, you know, you're on your wells and you've got 130 hours, you know, with your peas before you can get, you know, and then you get your peas and then you're on your red peas and you're on your green peas and your son is three times more likely to die by his own hand than in the car. Mm. Where's the education for parents about wow. that? You know, and that's, that's a problem. And, Parents don't know what to do. They know they notice a change, but they don't know what to do, and they do nothing because their kid tells them to get lost. And a lot of kids are very intimidated, particularly boys, because they can be angry because they they, they don't know how to express those negative emotions very well. And you can't back off mm. as much as it instinctively is like oh, I'll just leave them alone. You actually that's when you need to step up and go. Let's go for a walk. Let's go for a drive. You know, I'm not just letting that slide. Yeah. You know, but it can be, it's, it makes me anxious, you mm-hmm. know, because you don't want to make them 
not want to talk to you. But, it, I mean, Nick makes me laugh, you know. He said, God, having you as a mother, yes, I'm fine, you know. like it's <laughs> The mental you know? health mum. Yeah, yeah, oh, thanks, here mom. we go. How does that make me feel, you know. <laughs> He's going to thank you for that one day. He will. I know he will. Because he's going to have the blueprint for how he looks after his kids. Yes. Well, I think we do. And he's been very wise with me too. When I, a young man um, died by suicide last year, he was only 19 and Nick knew him. Um, and I said, we've just got to, you know, you've got to start talking. You know, you, you, you don't say when you're not well. And he said, Mum, you may change the next generation, but mine, it's too late. And wow. he said, we just told to man up. We man up. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. And I, I was oh, so gutted, but mm -hmm. I took it on board because he was being honest, even if I didn't want to hear it. Um, yeah. And he, he's right. You know, mm -hmm. we, we've just got to one step at a time and just keep, keep them talking. That's yeah. the most important thing. I think that's an excellent thing to finish on. You go do that thing with your kids. <laughs> and thank you so much for chatting to us on the show today. This is going to help a lot of people start to reevaluate and put some basic stuff in place. So I really appreciate it. Thanks, Kip. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action. Uh, and uh, there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit uh, stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written over the past nine years of writing a blog. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added and I can't wait to see where that community takes us. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, you're going to get bonus uh, Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week. Today